the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This episode of Magic Markets is brought to you by Westbrook Alternative Asset Management, South Africa's leading provider of alternative investment funds and co-investment strategies. With over 8 billion rand in assets under management across South Africa, the UK and the USA, Westbrook provides South African high net worth individuals, wealth managers and institutions with a unique gateway to the world of alternative investments. This includes private debt, hybrid capital, real estate, private equity and venture capital. Visit westbrook.co.za to find out more. Westbrook Alternative Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider, FSP number 46750. Before we start this fantastic episode of Magic Markets, I do need to tell you that the contents of this podcast are for information purposes only and they do not constitute investment advice, nor do they represent a solicitation of any member of the public to invest in any security. The investment vehicles managed by Westbrook Alternative Asset Management are available to qualified or sophisticated investors only. All listeners should seek professional financial advice prior to making any investment. Welcome to episode 118 of Magic Markets. I sometimes uh, have to think back to how many times we've done this, Mo. It's been quite a journey and it's been quite a journey that we've been on with the team from Westbrook as well. There are certainly no strangers to the Magic Markets audience. We always learn so much from them and I think we're going to have a really good chat today. But before we welcome the team there, hello to you all the way from Canada. I hope things are good. Yeah, Ghost, always a pleasure doing this. Indeed, episode 118 uh, just tells us that we've been in these seats for, for quite some time. Uh, and thankfully, Westbrook has been with us on this journey for some time as well. I'll, I'll tell you why I enjoy speaking to the team and, you know, before we even introduce them is that it sometimes just gives us a nice comparative, something slightly different to just con continuously looking at listed markets, which I think gets a lot of the emphasis. Westbrook always come at us with something interesting uh, in the unlisted space, in the private asset space. And you know that for me is nice because it challenges thinking and it also shows the diversity of the investment landscape. So that's why I'm very excited about the discussion that we actually have today and excited to welcome back Dino Zuccolo and Saul Mazzaro from Westbrook. Guys, welcome to Magic Markets. Yeah, hi Ghosts, hello Mo. Thanks so much for having us. Hi Ghosts, how's it Mo? Hope you guys are well. Thanks for having us again. Yeah, I know, we're, we're good. We're stoked to have you back. So I think before we get into, you know, what we're going to be talking about today, there's something we need to make clear right up front in this podcast, which is the way uh, and we'll be talking about solar and solar investing and the way the Westbrook structure works is even if you absolutely love everything you're hearing on this podcast and you think that Dino and Saul are the coolest guys you've ever heard in your life, even cooler than Mo, then regrettably investing is still not an option, unfortunately, as this structure is not open to the public. But if you have a need for many solar panels, probably many, many solar panels, although we'll find out on this show, then 
what you should do is you should speak to the guys. So we need to get that out the way up front. We're going to learn all about how Westbrook is thinking about solo. And uh, this has obviously become a very South, not a not a South African industry, but it's certainly become rather important here, perhaps more so than in some other countries. And uh, this is aimed more at those who might have projects who Westbrook might be able to invest in. You know, for everyone else, it's very much for informational purposes only. Uh, you cannot, unfortunately, invest in this fund. Dino, have I covered all our bases there? Yes, thank you very much, Ghost. Unfortunately, the regulatory landscape that we live in in, in South Africa is complex, which is probably an understatement, so much appreciated. <laughs> exactly. Not as complex as our electricity system, though, so I think maybe we should start there. And Dino or Saul, I don't know which one of you wants to take this, maybe Dino, but I mean, I, I guess we know what the big factor is that's led to, obviously, the need for solar, and that is our beloved electricity utility. But obviously, it's a step further than that. You know, what has created this opportunity for green solar project funding, ultimately, in South Africa. I think it's good to just help people understand why this is now all over the place. Sure. I mean, so I won't cover in too much detail that which we all know, which is that we spend somewhere between probably four to 12 hours a day without electricity in South Africa. And I suppose really the, the introduction to this conversation, Ghost, is that we saw, which is positive, I suppose, in South Africa in the budget speech earlier this year, a host of changes to the tax legislation specifically designed to incentivize additional private investment into the solar industry in South Africa, which has given rise, I suppose, to, and this is important, it's not to say that there wasn't an investment thesis for solar before, it's just that some of the changes in the tax legislation that have happened in South Africa recently have made it even more interesting to invest in, in, in solar. And I suppose where we're looking to operate as Westbrook is there's two types of funding. We talk about funding, and funding is a pretty generic term. But there's two types of funding that you really, at a high level, get in a solar project. There's debt and there's equity. Now, debt funding for a solar project when you've got a high-quality off-taker is relatively straightforward to obtain from a major bank. However, I think the important missing link here is that debt funding does not cover 100% of the cost of a project. And equity funding is something which is necessary in order to facilitate the rollout of solar projects in South Africa. Now, solar projects are nuanced in the sense that typically they're 10 to 15 year contracts. And so not only is there suddenly a lot of equity funding that asset owners in the solar space are looking for in order to roll out these projects. But they're looking for equity funding that is available for a long period, 10 to 15 years. And certainly that in and of itself is, is a complex thing to achieve. And so a combination of changes in the tax law, the need for equity funding, the load shedding crisis in South Africa has created a perfect storm which we as Westbrook are looking to capitalize on, which is to provide offerings both for partners, borrowers and clients uh, in the solar space specifically focused on equity, which looks to address that. I think that's a great place to start, Dino. And I mean, really, this is a long time coming in that we've got a crowd in private balance sheets. You know, that's really what the intent, I guess, is of the of the tax incentive. And maybe that catalyzes a lot of, of activity. But maybe I'm going to throw this question over to Saul. You know, Saul, what does the lay of the land actually look like right now? So who are the players in the solar market? We've kind of covered the, the broad opportunity set. Dino's kind of touched on the opportunity for equity financing versus the debt financing component. Uh, but what does that actually look like both from the funder side of the, of, the, of the table as well as from people actually looking to execute on the projects? Because I think that's really an important question is how many people are kind of very close to being shovel ready? What does that environment look like? 
So, Mo, that's a great question. And I think, I guess, when you look at a, a solar project in isolation, there are effectively three parties or three subsets of parties that can be further divided into categories. They're effectively the asset owner, the people who own the asset who provide funding to the solar project. Then it's the installer or the, the contractor, the people who, who build it, design it, spec it, also can be a multitude of players within that category. And then effectively, it's the offtaker of the energy that's produced by the solar project. And within all three categories, there are various players or stakeholders, and they can each perform different roles, and they can all overlap. You can get Within the asset ownership space, you get IPPs that will effectively fund it, whether it's through equity and then they've received debt from a debt provider. Then they may also have an in-house construction team that designs it, an engineering team. A lot of the roles can often overlap from an engineering perspective. And I guess it's effective the people who operate and own the asset and then the off-taker, whether it's a utility. So on the re-projects, that utility or off-taker would have been ESCOM. If it's a corporate-backed PPA or power purchase agreement, that offtaker would be a, a private business or company or farm or manufacturing facility or, or, or the like. In terms of how many projects are shoved already, I mean, the industry itself has erupted. I think to put it lightly over the last 12 to 18 months, I mean, distributors of, of, of batteries, manufacturers, importers of equipment, I mean, they're seeing multiples of growth in their businesses over the last 12 to 18 months. And and a big a big driver of that is obviously has been load shedding and the, the real effect that that has had on the economy and underlying businesses. I mean, when when you're operating a, a manufacturing facility and you can't operate for 12 hours of the day, the effect on your on your business is, is, is material to say the least. So whereas I think in the past where solar was seen as a, a product or an option for more progressive sort of businesses to say, okay, let's reduce our operating expenditure, let's increase the level of sort of green points that we're getting as a business, now it's more uh, an existential need. And, and solar in itself is actually insufficient. There need to be batteries. It needs to be tied into some sort of backup system. So, so that the landscape is constantly changing. And you're seeing that in the performance of the different elements of, of, a, of a solar system where different manufacturers and businesses are, they can't keep up with the demand. Solar equipment importers, they can't keep up with the demand. It's also driven by the type of, by the type of investment that the off-takers want to make. If they want to put in the capex themselves and they want to invest in solar and take on the, the management and finding people to install it and fund it and procuring the, the equipment and manage that process, that's all great and well, and they can do that and they will do that. And it's, it's a, a, if it's seen as a, a core part of their business, it's, it's excellent. And then there's another element where they don't necessarily want to put in the CapEx and they want to not necessarily take the risk of insurance and managing and operating the plants. And then what are the other avenues that they have? So, so that effectively is, is, is kind of where the market's at. Now, I laugh at the reference to a solar system. I remember when I learned about a different kind of solar system at school, and now kids in South Africa, the solar system, unfortunately, is that thing in the garage, you know, and what's on the roof and the planets are irrelevant. It's very sad. But it's also an opportunity, obviously, which is why we're here. And I guess what's also interesting is integrated reporting has really come full circle now because ESG has firmly landed in the financials. <laughs> and that is thanks to, in fact, ESCOM, one of the dirtiest power producers in the world. So, again, the ironies are, are incredible here. You know, from an ESG perspective, obviously, this is a very friendly thing to finance, right? You're not financing new coal mines, but then equally the banks are also not financing new coal mines. So there must be money flowing into solar from just about everywhere because not only is it starting to make financial sense, but it's also ticking every box the next time your independent directors come around and want to chat about your ESG program. 
So it would just be interesting to understand, you know, what is Westbrook's edge here when it comes to the underlying projects, the assets, you know, why why would a project owner actually want to partner with Westbrook? I think, Saul, that's probably a question for you. And uh, it would be good, good to understand what sets Westbrook apart here. So, so Ghost, that's, that's a very good question. And I guess it's, it's, it's what's, what's, what's Westbrook's reason for being in this market, um, in, the, in, the, in the solar PV market. And essentially, as, as Dino alluded to earlier, we, we are equity investors in solar PV assets. Um, and we're looking to partner with different stakeholders within the solar PV renewable energy value chain who are looking to grow their portfolio of solar PV assets and, and hybrid systems. And they may not necessarily have the equity capital to do that. So I guess where, where, where we come in is with how the market has moved in the last 12 to 18 months, or even you can say six to 12 months, is that your established sort of independent power producers or IPPs, they have got their international equity investors capitalizing their, their balance sheets. They, they don't necessarily need an, a local equity partner. However, because the, the one megawatt cap that was initially in place on, on a lot of these solar projects has been lifted, there's a lot more scope to do bigger projects. And with bigger projects comes bigger costs. And as um, the more established players are, are moving into what actually used to be limited to re-projects or re-project sizes of 50, 7,500 megawatts, hundreds of millions of rands, billions of rands of investments directly into single projects. Small, medium scale players can't necessarily fill that gap that's been left. And through our structure or through our strategy, we want to fill that gap and help and help these guys grow. So whether they're EPCs that have a pipeline of projects, whether they're independent power producers that have a balance sheet of assets and want to grow that balance sheet and don't necessarily have the capital to do it, um, those are those are the partners we want to work with and who we want to help facilitate growth in the market. Yeah, I want to, I want to just pick up on that and so maybe just unpack it a little bit because I know we can't necessarily talk about this from the investment side, but we can definitely talk about it in terms of who those partners are. So people who need to borrow the money, you know, you've kind of alluded to the scale in terms of where the, the overall market has gone, but who are we kind of looking at when we're saying, you know, Westbrook's looking to partner with people. What is the scale of the projects you guys are currently looking at? And then another question on this, and I think it's important, is if I cast my mind back to the budget speech, there were two tax incentives that were given. One was for kind of residential, the other was kind of more commercial, and I know the kind of jury is still out on, for example, bodies corporate. So big complexes, apartment buildings, that's something where there's still a big question mark around it. So where specifically is Westbrook kind of targeting their solution when we're when we're talking about people looking at partnering with you from a borrowing perspective? Do you know? Yeah. So, so Mo, I think it's a it's a very important distinction. This um, Treasury brought in primarily two incentives for solar this year. The the one was for residential solar, which was the allowance that you will have seen. Um, that, if I recall correctly, was capped to a fifteen thousand rand uh, annual deduction or rebate, and that applies to your house, residential installations, but the panels themselves. Whereas, what we're looking to do falls under different incentives, Section 12B, which precludes installation on residential applications. So you need here to be invested into a trade project. Uh, and so really where we're looking to play is on commercial sort of rooftop solar primarily. Uh, I think the, the second point here is that, and, and Saul alluded to it earlier, load shedding has changed the game somewhat in this respect. Because in the past, a solar project 
was much cheaper. You know, a solar project in the past only used to be really the cost of an installation and panels. But now with load shedding, kind of a solar installation is not helping you during times of load shedding because you need batteries and you need an entire infrastructure here in order to store power in times where, you know, there's downtime. And so that's kind of 3 x the cost of a project, which certainly for us has been transformative, Mo, on the basis that it allows us to more materially move the dial into projects that once were quite small. And again, just to reiterate what we were saying at the beginning, it goes to 100% right, there is a lot of money chasing this asset class. However, and you'll have seen it through podcasts we've done in the past, Westbrook plays in small niches, in clever places in, in the market, where for whatever reason there's a need. And I think the need here is for a smaller operator who's looking for equity funding. There's a lot of debt funding. The big mega projects are being funded by the DFIs and international investors and so on and so forth. I think what we've also seen is partners in the past have been funding the equity contribution into their projects themselves. But what's happened is the load shedding crisis in South Africa has resulted in people's portfolios growing now at such a rapid rate that eventually you tap out and you reach a point where you just don't have the amount of equity needed to continually match the debt funding into these projects. And I think that really is the niche that we're looking to play in. Uh, as you can hear, Saul is the, uh, we call him Solar Saul. Uh, he's the expert in this. I'm sure he's got something he'd like to add. Not all of which can be published for family viewing based on uh, that nickname, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, no, so I, I think a, a key, I guess, tenet of our, of our, of our investment philosophy is, is to partner with people who we believe in their model. And we believe that the risk that we're taking by investing in the equity in these projects is is, is commensurate with the return that we're getting out of it. Obviously, the overlay of, of the Section 12B tax deduction shifts that balance out in the, in the investor's favor. But partnering with players in the space is, is key and building those those long-term relationships is is something that that is fundamental to our to our model and, and not and not just necessarily funding on a, on a on a on a transactional basis. And we've said this time and time again, guys. You know, you, you will have spoken to us as Westbrook about the 12J business that we still operate before. And we've said this from day dot, which is that, and it's so important to remind clients, the existence of a tax break in and of itself is not a good enough reason to make an investment, right? The tax break is great. The tax break enhances returns and tips the odds in a client's favor, as Saul has described. But you cannot lose what we refer to as Westbrook's risk uh, philosophy and approach in the process. And as a consequence, we will still only do good deals and ironically, although the legislation was only changed uh, at the beginning of this year in the budget, we as Westbrook have actually been working on the solar offering for the last 18 months. And, and I think that's just testament to sort of the way we try and operate our business, which is that, yes, the legislation was made more attractive recently. But for 18 months, we've been analyzing, we've been learning, we've been meeting people, we've been looking at the different options as to how we can invest into the space. And we, we're only now, 18 months later, at a point where we feel comfortable with exactly how we want to do it. And therefore, uh, in the course of the next few days, we'll, we'll launch it to a very selected grouping of clients. So we've got SolarSol, we've got Day.Dino. And uh, the question I have in this case, which is for SolarSol, is uh, you know, to what extent do you think solar can actually get us to the point where I can wake up in the morning and by the time I go to bed that night, this incredible situation will have occurred where all my appliances work the whole day? which would be incredible. Mo knows this because he's in Canada. It's, it's very odd for him that this is an achievement. But those of us back down here, we know 
that this is nothing to take for granted. You know, I don't know. Everyone has given up on their microwave clock. And I think we would all like it if the microwave clock would work again. So can, can solar get us there as a country or is this very much a band-aid? You know, it's obviously it's a bigger question. Uh, and there's a lot of political stuff behind it too, which we won't, we won't get into. It won't be appropriate. But just in terms of the actual energy needs, you know, how far can solar actually get us? Um, Ghost, it's a, it's a good question. And, and, and to be honest, I don't really think I'm fully equipped to answer it. The energy needs of this country, I think, will ever be bridged by solar alone. I'm not so sure. All I know is that the industry itself is flying and businesses at this point in time and, and commercial entities and, and corporates and private individuals, they don't necessarily have a choice but to take action. And, and however that may be, whether it's through solar or inverters or buying a battery pack or something the reliance on the grid is 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 not being there is no reliance being placed on the grid anymore to provide you with 24 hours of electricity and how long that will be until the the, the that gap is is bridged I'm I'm not so sure I mean what I will say is that the you know obviously we've got the South African story and it's super hard to guess how much of a bridge that will how much of a gap that will bridge but what we are seeing based on company announcements integrated reports etc there are companies that are taking entire operations off-grid now. So South Africa itself might still need ESCOM, but there are many corporates out there with big operations, energy-intensive stuff. I'm not talking about the aluminum smelter that belongs to South 32 that everyone talks about. But, you know, industries with proper manufacturing are going off-grid. Mines are finding ways to actually go off-grid. So I guess once you go to that micro level, it is possible for a company to do a deal like this and significantly just de-risk its entire energy source right i mean that that's something that i've seen yes no you're 100 percent right and also i guess it's a matter of what the grid can handle from an alternative source point of view i don't i don't know if the grid is equipped to handle gigawatts and gigawatts of solar energy i think that's a, a whole a whole nother question and, and and something that i guess will come up sooner rather than later as as more projects come online I mean, I think I stand under correction, but in the Northern Cape, they're, they're effectively tapped out to, to put out, you can't, it's, it's not possible to put up more solar PV in the Northern Cape because the transmission grid is, is effectively full. So yeah, those are, those are also questions that will have to be answered. But like I said, I mean, uh, I stand to be corrected and fact-checked on, 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 on that statement. Yeah, I want, I want to jump in here and I mean, maybe change tech a little bit because I think Saul's brought up a very important point with regards to overall infrastructural capacity, the grid and so forth. Uh, I want to almost change that up a little bit to say with incentives, tax incentives specifically, sometimes they create these perverse actions, they perverse incentives, right? And you see this where it might now catalyze a lot of activity and that might give you economies of scale. But the flip side of that is it might also result in price gouging where suppliers of certain components say, well, hey, actually we can quantify the size of the tax benefit and we'll build that into the component pricing. So the actual pricing mechanism shifts the entire industry higher. And so net net, the effect of the tax incentive gets dissipated somewhat. Uh, again, this to either Dino or to Saul, what is the current state of play with regards to just the overall industry? It's probably early days. The tax incentive was literally just announced maybe a month or so ago uh, from this recording. Uh, do you see that playing out? I mean, there's this dire need for electricity, but at what stage does that start to become a concern just from an overall capacity view as well? Yeah, look, so Mo, I think the first point 
to point out here is that the amendments to Section 12B that the government put in to make it, so the way Section 12B works effectively is you get 125% tax deduction in the year that a project is commissioned by that taxpayer for the first time in respect of the cost of PV solar and related equipment. That 125% deduction has only been made available for Treasury or by Treasury for two years from effectively the 1st of March 2023. I think the likelihood of a move so significant by a subset of industry such that it can change the pricing dynamics of equity in projects of solar that dramatically is, is unlikely, in my opinion, especially given the size of the problem. You know, we, we're not dealing with a small problem here, we're dealing with a big problem. And a tax incentive is perhaps, you know, one way of addressing the issue, but it certainly isn't the solution, right? It is a solution. And so I don't think that that is necessarily the case. But what I do think, and, you know, I think there's a lot of South Africans here who are very quick to be critical of government. Uh, one can argue that some of their actions have gotten us into this into this issue before. But like, as we know, you know, in governments, in the same way as in corporates, there's agency issues between tenors and durations and presidents aren't there forever. They're there for a period of time in the same way as a CEO is only there in a business for a period of time. But what Treasury has done and what government have done is they've taken bold steps in an attempt now to address the issue. Interestingly, Section 12B was not created in the same way as Section 12J was, in the sense that Section 12J was actually designed by Treasury to be a pooled fund structure of investment. And I think the big flaw with Section 12J was that you got the deduction in the year that you invested in a Section 12J company, even though that manager may only have made the investment three, four years later. In some instances, I'm not even sure whether investments were made. Whereas in 12B, the paradigm is very different. It, it was designed actually more for direct investment into solar projects. And so you need to be very careful that you're, I suppose, as a potential investor in this, backing a manager who understands a, the mechanics, and B, isn't going to overpay Mo to your point in order to just get projects. But the, the, the good thing here is it keeps industry a lot more honest because you only get the deduction in the year that you actually bring a project into use for the first time by that taxpayer. And so it is much more targeted. I think it is much more pointed. It's much more difficult to scale. 12J, a lot of money was going into hotels and things that were very big. This is genuine bona fide new projects addressing a real issue in South Africa. And in that sense, I take my hat off to, to the government. Yeah, you know, I think that's fantastic perspective because I think that demarcation is really very important. The fact that this is focused and the incentive only flows when capital actually gets implemented. I think a subtle nuance, and again, that's why it's important to demarcate the residential program from the commercial program, is the residential program, to my understanding, only covered the solar panels component, to my understanding, did not cover the battery and the storage, which, as we've discussed on the show, is such a vital component to just getting the overall system to work. So those subtle nuances are exactly why I think it's important to deal with a party that understands what those nuances are. So thanks for clarifying that. Yep. And I mean, one, one last point, at least in respect of the projects we're investing into, Mo, is that the projects are geared, right? So... To, to my earlier point, we're investing the equity into these projects, but there is debt. Now, as an investor, you are on the hook for your pro rata element of the debt, right? So again, you cannot just make investments in order to spend the money as quickly as you can. You've got to make good investments. And I think that is fundamental to the Westbrook risk uh, philosophy and approach is that capital preservation is 
top of mind in every single thing that we do. We've raised and managed and exited a lot of money here in South Africa in, in tax incentives, amongst others, in the past. Uh, we're very proud to have never lost clients' money. And this is not where we're planning on starting, right? So the depth of the skill of our investment teams is paramount. And th that philosophy is not something that's up for conversation in, within our business. We will always strive to give clients a very high quality underlying investment as rule number one. And I would encourage anyone who's enjoyed listening to this to go back and look at some of those other Westbrook podcasts because we've had some really cool chats, understanding concepts like the capital stack, how you can play at different levels, what a debt-led strategy looks like, what an equity strategy looks like, what mezzanine finance looks like. There's really an absolute wealth of information in the Magic Markets library around alternative assets. And pretty much all of it is from Westbrook. So, you know, go and check it out. Go listen to them. If this is something that has sparked an interest for you, as it should have, because where I'd like to finish off, you know, it's something you mentioned to me before the show. And obviously, you know, there's certain numbers you can give publicly, there's certain numbers you can't, but just demand for alternatives at the moment is very high right and it would just be good to get your understanding on on how that's running ghost we are we are raising record capital flows into the business why it's a very complex world out there i mean it's been fascinating to watch what's unfolded and i'm not a macroeconomist, but svb happened and then they got bailed out and everybody thought ah, oh, this is the end of the interest rate hiking cycle rates are going down everybody got excited then there was a run on equities, and then all of a sudden, that position seems to have pivoted again. I don't. I think it's fair to say that nobody really knows what the future holds in store for the world. And that is giving rise to a heck of a lot of volatility in the listed markets. Corporate failures, you, you know, the, the fragility of certain businesses don't show in times of bull markets. They only show in times of bear markets. And we're starting to see that theme play out locally and, and offshore. And so what I think we're seeing with clients is clients are now looking for diversified sources of return. They're looking for a lack of correlation to what I've just explained, uh, less volatility, they're looking for more predictable earning streams. And the nice thing about being an alternatives provider playing in clever niches and in small, small pieces of big markets is that the harder the markets get, the better the opportunities that present themselves. And certainly that theme is playing out for us. We're seeing an incredible pipeline of transactions and we're seeing record close from clients who are looking for something different. And, you know, certainly the, the agenda for our business is to raise billions of rands this year and, you know, to take our assets under management over the course of the next few years from the billions of rands into the billions of dollars and, and above. But again, the objective here is not to chase assets under management. The objective here and the hero of our business is investing into good assets with great partners, with capital preservation as rule number one. And, you know, our philosophy is find a good deal, the money will be there. Dino, thanks. I think that's a, that's a really cool way to finish up and, uh, to, you know, to give us this insight into, I suppose, I don't want to say the latest thinking at Westbrook because this sits alongside everything else you're doing. It's not like you've now all woken up and now you're wearing solar hats and you've ignored everything else. If there's one thing we've learned on magic markets, there's a lot going on at Westbrook, not just in South Africa, but overseas as well, up and down the capital stack. There's always something happening. So good luck with this. Uh, and just to, again, reiterate what we said at the start of the show, this is not an investment that is open to the public, but those who are listening who are aware of solar projects or intimately involved in solar projects, looking specifically in this case for equity funding, which is quite hard to come by, I think, for this. 
you know, reach out to Saul, reach out to Dino. Uh, and I think just to finish off, you know, how can they reach you? Dino, you're prolific on social media. It's hard not to find you. Uh, what is the right channel from a solo perspective? Saul, is, do they contact you? What, what should people do? You can contact Saul. Uh, Saul at westbrook.co.za you can contact me Dino at westbrook.co.za but also I think what we're trying to do is build out our website as a repository of information uh, for people who are looking to understand exactly what it is that we do before potentially contacting us or not so I'd also invite you to visit westbrook.co.za that's w-e-s-t-b-r-o-o-k-e .co.za you'll see a lot of information there around our solar offering uh, and we would always be open to a conversation thereafter if of interest yeah, thanks guys uh, it was really uh, fun certainly i've learned a lot and to our listeners unfortunately that's where we've got to leave it this week uh, let us know what you think hit us up on social media it's at finance ghost at muhammad nala and at magic markets pod one word and until next week same time same place thanks and cheers this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice please speak to your personal financial advisor